Good morning. We are going into a new section of Matthew, a new sub-series in Matthew, and it's called Compassion and Commission. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. And this series of Matthew of Compassion and Commission will start at 935 and go to the end of chapter 10. We'll be in here for five weeks. So today, our text is Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So let's turn to Matthew 5, 35, I'm sorry, Matthew 9, 35 through 38 and stand and read this text of scripture. Matthew 9, starting at verse 35. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for um, what you've promised in your word happens whenever we gather around it. That we know that the Holy Spirit will come in power and that he'll convict us and he'll comfort us and he'll show us all kinds of areas where we need to be more like Christ. And so we pray for that this morning. I pray for that in my own heart, Lord, as we examine the compassionate heart of Jesus and see just how much he loves people, that I would examine my own heart and ask myself if I love people the same way. And I pray for my friends here this morning that they would do the same, Lord. We ask that you would do this morning what you promised to do, which is to train us in righteousness, to show us our sin and make us more holy through your word. God, I pray for myself. Please move me out of the way. And let every word I say be yours. And all the things that would be good and helpful and correct that I would say those things. And all the things that would not be good or not be helpful, not be correct, that I would not say those things, Lord. I pray for all of us, God, that from here we would be transformed. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I am am super pumped about... This next section, as a matter of fact, I am really, really, really pumped about this particular set of verses in Matthew chapter nine. Um, I've just been thinking about it the whole week, going over the whole week, and I've just become excited. Now, here's there's one little downside to me being super excited is I started writing a lot and we have six points. However, I'm telling you, we can do it. I've got like they're short little ticks. We can knock them right off. It's not going to take tons of time, but we do have six points that we're going to be doing. Um, and you can see that our main theme is going to come right out of verse 36. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. So that word compassion is going to be lifted out as our main theme of all of these verses. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is the compassion of Jesus. And this compassion of Jesus is going to serve as we're stepping into chapter 10 and looking at a lot of things about mission and commission and being sent on mission. Um, um, compassion of verse at the end of verse nine, of chapter nine is going to serve as our stepping stones into chapter 10 to be the, the catalyst that serves us and wants to send us out to be on commission or on mission for Jesus. But before we're on mission, we got to take that step back and ask ourselves, are we compassionate people? Are we people that are 
overflowing with compassion. I took a spiritual gifts inventory several years ago. That's one of those things, depending on how you're feeling that day about yourself, you ask the questions and it tells you what your spiritual gifts are. And if you're really feeling good about yourself, you're going to score really high on a lot of things. And if you're really feeling bad about you, that's kind of how it works. So the best way to know about your gifts, this is a side note, is just ask the Christians around you. But anyway, so I took the, uh, I took the test and I, and I was feeling decently good about myself that day. So I was, it was a, a test of, you could get 30 points out of things. And I was ranging pretty high and double digits on almost everything except for one thing. One thing, um, I was not in double digits. It was the only thing I was in single digits and I got a three out of 30 in compassion. And so, um, the question for us here is, um, if Jesus is compassionate and we're supposed to be filled with the spirit and sent by the power of the spirit, power of Christ to be his salt and light, we're supposed to be compassionate people as well. And so, um, even though compassion sometimes is looked at as a spiritual gift, we're all supposed to overflow with compassion. So as we're getting started in this text, here's one thing I want you to think about. How do you do when it comes to be compassionate to other people? How do you do? Um, do you really have to work at it or is it something that comes naturally? By God's grace, since I took that test and it probably was true that I wasn't the most compassionate person, um, being married and having children has certainly tendered my heart a little bit um, towards other people. But before we go into this text, one of the things I want you to already start thinking about is, are you a compassionate person? Do you find yourself to be tender-hearted towards people who are, um, as the text would say, harassed and helpless, needy people? Is it just like, ah, well, they'll get better, hope things work out? Or is it your heart is breaking because that they are break, their hearts are breaking? So... <clears throat> What we're going to do is we're going to pick up at verse 35 and we're going to uh, look at six notes on Jesus's compassion in verses 35 through 38. So look at verse 35. And if you've been paying attention at all, um, you're going to notice that verse 35 here is almost word for word quote from Matthew 4:23. It says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And if we read Matthew 4, 23, it says he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Matthew is restating it word for word for purpose. There's literary things that he's trying to do where he's trying to set up the public ministry and he's trying to bring... And to some level, closure of healings, although there will be some more healings and things like that. But we've kind of finished that section, highlighting his authoritative power from four up to nine now. And now we're going to go into chapter 10 will actually be a a major teaching discourse of Jesus. There's five major teaching discourses in Matthew. And Matthew 10 is going to be the second one. Of course, the Sermon on the Mount was the first. And so he restates this again. Um, And there's a there's a historian named Josephus. He was a Jewish historian, not a Christian, that lived in the first century. And he was kind of uh, taught. Talking about some of these uh, villages and cities that Jesus was going to. Now, this is what I want you to see. It says Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Matthew has no reason to over exaggerate here, but to be but to be perfectly honest and and straightforward of what Jesus was doing. And it says teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which we've known from 423 is his whole purpose is to tell people the kingdom of the, uh, the gospel is coming now it's here with you and it will come one day and I am its savior this is what Matthew is saying uh, about Jesus and then he says and healing every disease and affliction now Josephus says that there are about 204 cities and villages in Galilee and um, each city and village had no fewer than maybe around 15,000 people so that there are almost 3 million people 
that he were minist- that he was ministering to as he's going through these cities and villages. Um, this would take, if he went to two cities, there would be about 30,000 people per day. This would take between three and four months to do. Now, that is some exhausting ministry. Very exhausting ministry. Day in, day out, almost 30,000 people. And he's going to all of them, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. We can already start to see, okay, this man is unbelievably compassionate. He's interacting and doing ministry on levels that would blow our minds and really tire us out beyond belief. And that's the compassionate nature of Jesus as he's doing this. And also, just incidentally, this is kind of grabbing last week's sermon and, and kind of pulling in that last point. If we remember in verse 34, the Pharisees who, you know, they were the ones who oppress Jesus and, and hate Jesus and say all kinds, uh, kinds of things. They're saying in verse 34 uh, that he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And how does Jesus answer the Pharisaical opposition? He just goes and starts doing more good work. Just that's kind of another side note from last week is he didn't have to answer them. You want to say that's true? Watch what I do now. I'm going to go from every city and start healing three million people and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's just a side note. So here we go into verse 35. um, And he's talking about the compassionate nature of Jesus. And we can see really four things in that. This is not going to be on on the screen here, but really kind of four things that he's doing. First thing is he goes into the cities. He goes into where there's the center of culture. Culture starts in the cities and flows out into the um, rural areas. Just perfectly logical for us that we would think most of our ministry, if we want to make um, big inroads to large amounts of places, we need to go into the cities, affect culture, and it flows out into the rural. That's, that's what happened in New York. That's what happens in Europe, and it comes to us in New York, and it goes into our big cities and kind of flows out into America. After he goes into these cities, he teaches the Bible. It says he went to their synagogues. This is where the center of religion was, and he would go to the synagogues, and he would start teaching them the Bible, unpacking the Old Testament scriptures and how he is the fulfillment of those things. And then it says he proclaims the gospel or preaches the gospel of the kingdom. Not the exact same teaching preach. And this is where he just basically tells them the gospel of the kingdom, that he is the Messiah. And then lastly, we can see healing every disease. And this is where he starts meeting their physical needs. That's kind of the the outline of the way he's going into these cities and what he's doing. And as he's doing it, we can see that he has unbelievable compassion on people. And it says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds and he had crowds around him all the time, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. So he sees needs. And this word compassion, just to kind of give, give you a little bit of a definition. Um, this word compassion is to literally means to feel alongside someone. It's literally you're coming beside them and you're feeling them. You're not looking at them and seeing their, you know, wretched situation and just kind of feeling sorry for them. Instead, uh, you're coming beside them. And as you're coming beside them, you're going to input yourself into their pain. And their pain that they're feeling is going to be your pain that you're feeling. You're going to feel alongside them what it is that they're feeling. That's what compassion is here. It's not just, um, oh, I see you're in trouble. I feel bad for you. I'm compassionate towards you. That's not what we're talking about at all. It's coming beside them and feeling the pain with them. And so he sees these crowds and he doesn't feel indifferent. Maybe that's something we're guilty of. He doesn't feel angry like, come on, get a job. What's the matter with you? (laughs) He feels compassionate to them. He sees the crowds. He has compassion and it says for because they were harassed and helpless like sheep. Without a shepherd, 
they were like harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So here's the first note I want us to see about compassion. Um, we've already been told in other places in the, in the scriptures, in, in Matthew coming up, that Jesus is pretty straightforward with them regarding their sin. And so compassion can sometimes be confused with a tolerance for sin. Let, let me put up number one. It says compassion is not to be confused with a tolerance for sin. Whenever you're compassionate towards someone, whenever they have... Uh, problems in their life or they have sin in their life, whenever you're being compassionate towards them, it does not, it's not to be confused with um, an intolerance for sin. You're not supposed to say, oh, you've got all these wretched problems, so I'm just going to look past your sin and I'm going to cuddle you and, and, and make you feel better and, and give you some warm, fuzzy Jesus. And that, that's not at all. There is never in Jesus's heart, whenever he's showing people a compassion and a, a tolerance for sin. Let me just give you Three examples so far, and, and we're just going to stay in Matthew. In Matthew one twenty one, Matthew's writing, it says that Jesus came to save the people from their sins. So he's straightforward with them and letting them know, hey, you're, you're big fat sinners, and I've come to save you from that. Another place is in 7.11, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking to people, he tells them, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, he looks at the men and tells them, you're evil. That's not that's not tolerating sin. And then one other place in 9.13, he, uh, in 9.13 he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So he's pretty straightforward with them, letting them know that he came to die for their sin, that they're evil, and that they are sinners. But he's also, at the same time, has compassion on them. He, he does not feel angry towards them. We can see that whenever he's being asked for help, he's not turning them away like the woman with the issue of blood or Jairus's or Jairus when he comes to ask for his daughter's help. He's never, ever mad at them for whatever reason they're coming. Instead, he's always overflowing with compassion. He's not indifferent or angry. He's compassionate when they come in. So let's let's just kind of start with that starting point to remember Compassion's not to be confused with a tolerance for sin. So when you're compassionate towards people, you still have to be real with them with, about their sin problem. Or when your spouse is showing compassionate or being compassionate towards you um, and they still want to point out sin, it does not mean that they lack compassion. So we you need to remember, or children, when your parents are being compassionate towards you, but they still point out your sin, um, they're still being compassionate. You have to, um, even though you're compassionate, still show people their sin. Now, why does he feel compassion for them? Look what he says. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because, and it says this, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, like sheep without a shepherd. He is feeling compassion on them precisely because they are leaderless. There's no one to lead them. And when he sees this, it devastates him. When we see immaturity or ignorance or people with great need. We see popular culture going out and, and living in, in wretched sin and they're following fads of sin. Is it met with us by annoyance or words of beratement? Um, that's not really a word, I don't think, but you know what I'm saying? Do we berate them with our words? Um, this is not the, the case with Jesus. Instead, he actually increases with compassion when he sees this. Um, so that's why he's doing that. That's why he's feeling compassionate towards them because they don't have a leader and they need to have a leader. And then it says this in 36, um, it says that they are harassed and helpless. They're harassed and helpless. So it's given us a little bit of definition about the people that are going to receive the compassion of Jesus. So here's the second note for us. When Jesus's compassion 
was particularly directed towards the harassed and helpless, as should ours be. Now, this does not mean if people are not harassed and helpless that you stiff arm them and give them the Heisman and don't give them any compassion whatsoever. You still, of course, show them compassion. But we can see the pattern in which Christ helps people is that he looks for particularly the harassed and helpless. Um, They were harassed and helpless because they were unable to help themselves. And for us Americans, this is sometimes a very tough pill to swallow. We think that um, with our ingenuity, we can get things done. But the truth about you and the truth about me is that we're all helpless. Every single one of us are completely helpless. You have to erase the mindset that you're not helpless. You and I are. And until we realize that, we're never going to, with our own lives, reach out and grasp this compassion of Christ to come into our own lives and and guide us and help us become more like him. Now, it says that uh, when he sees this mindset or sees this awareness of desperation or helplessness or harassment in us, it moves him to compassion. Now, who who are they harassed by? Who are these people harassed by? It says they're harassed and helpless. Who are they harassed by? Uh, more than likely, as we've seen over 8 and 9, or really chapter 9, the, the oppression or the opposition of the Pharisees, this is who these people are harassed by as well. They're harassed by the religious leaders, the Pharisees that, who had a, a bend towards legalism, a bend towards um, looking and acting like a right person, a great righteous person, but inside being far from God, completely... Um, unrighteous. They were not being the kind of, they were not, the religious leaders were not the kind of people that were wanting to woo the harassed and helpless by the gospel of grace. They were trying to make them be righteous by works instead of saying, God is a God of compassion. He's a God of grace. I want to let you see the beauty of God and come to him because of that. Instead, they were trying to say, you've got to fall in line. And they were being harassed by these people, telling them that they had to look and act a certain way. Now, there's one other line there. It says, they were, because they were harassed, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. And it says, like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. This little line here in Matthew um, is not just uh, on its face, just about Jesus trying to use a metaphor of sheep and shepherd. There's actually... Um, some pretty significant uh, Old Testament roots with this metaphor that Jesus is trying to, or Matthew is trying to uh, show us about Jesus. So, like sheep without a shepherd, on the surface, is trying to show us that these people are orphans. They need a father. They are lost souls, and they are um, in desperate need of someone to come lead them. But the metaphor driving down deeper into the Old Testament is going to show us another thing about the compassion of Jesus. Here's the third one. Jesus' compassion, when it uses this metaphor of sheep and shepherd, um, which is cast in this metaphor of shepherd and sheep, is actually messianic. And again, Matthew, writing to a Jewish nation, um, is going to over and over and over inside of this book um, use every way he can through prophecy of the Old Testament or even sheep shepherd metaphors, point these people who are Jewish, who are so well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. They know the Old Testament so well. He's wanting to over and over point them to the prophecies of the Old Testament and say, Jesus Christ is that Messiah that's being talked about. And so this 
this compassion of Jesus, um, which is cast in this metaphor of sheep shepherd, is actually messianic. Let me give you just two examples in the book of Matthew. And we're just going to stay in Matthew so we can see that. So we can see these sheep shepherd metaphors. All right. One is Matthew 2, 6. It says this. Um, we've already kind of studied this. And this is this is a, uh, a text regarding the visit of the wise man. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's a direct quote from Micah. He's quoting Micah 5.2. And he's using this shepherd sheep metaphor. And again, Matt, Matthew's just wanting us to see that this compassion of Jesus, this compassion of Jesus is actually... Um, showing us that Jesus is the coming Messiah. There's one other place, and it's in Matthew 26. We have not actually come to this one. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, this is at the end of his life, he's talking to him. he says, you will, Jesus said to him, you will all fall away because of me this night. For as it is written, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep, I'm sorry, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So there's two just inside of Matthew um, that hold out this shepherd sheep metaphor. And what Matthew's trying to do, as he's showing us the compassion of Jesus, on its surface, he's saying they need a leader. They need someone because they're orphans to come be their father. But even deeper than that, he's wanting to lift up this messianic prophecies of the Old Testament and help us see this. D.A. Carson says this about this shepherd sheep metaphor being used and how it's kind of illustrating the compassion of Jesus. He says, Jesus is very compassion. Jesus's very compassion towards sheep without a shepherd qualifies him as the shepherd they need. So the fact that he is compassionate towards them actually qualifies him as the coming Messiah qualifies him as the shepherd. They need the shepherd long promised in the old Testament scriptures. In other words, his compassion that he has for these people authenticates his messiahship. Authenticates that he is the person in the Old Testament that was talked about as the coming Messiah. It authenticates his messiahship just as faithfully and just as powerfully as any of the miracles that he's done. That's pretty unbelievable. What it's saying is all the miracles easily illustrate for us, oh, he must be the Messiah. Look, he's doing all these miracles, just like they said he was going to do in the Old Testament. Miracles, miracles, miracles. And what they're saying is, what what D.A. Carson here is saying is, the fact that he is just compassionate towards the people is just as powerful of a testimony that he's the Messiah as a miracle itself. Compassion. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's unbelievably amazing. All right, so here's, here's the deal. All we've done so far in verse 35 and 36 is examine the compassion of Jesus. And he's used for us this, uh, this metaphor of sheep. And he's going to switch metaphors on us. He's going to, he talked about sheep farming, which we're all, I know, really well acquainted with. Um, and now he's going to move over to harvesting, farming and harvesting. And he's going to switch this metaphor as we're going into verse 37 and 38. Now... Why is he doing that and what's the point? All right, here's the deal. All he's done so far is just point out for us the compassion of Jesus using the sheep shepherd metaphor. As we're switching, he's changing the metaphor intentionally to ignite compassion within us to be just like Jesus. In the text, he's trying to ignite the compassion of the disciples. He's switching it and he's going to say right there and it says, 
Then he said to his disciples. So we see all we've talked about is Jesus's compassion. And that's simply not enough for Jesus to be compassionate. His followers must also be like him. They must be compassionate. And so as he's switching the metaphor, he's also switching the intentionality to the disciples and saying, you're supposed to be compassionate just like me. And if we can just extend that into the 21st century, it's looking out at you and it's saying, so are you. There is no excuse for you if you are a Christ follower to not be compassionate towards people. You are not the center of the universe. The world does not revolve around you. It revolves around Jesus. And since it revolves around Jesus and he is compassionate, he's telling us that we are to be compassionate people as well. So as we're going into this, just remember, we're starting to ask the question, what about us? What about us? Look at verse 37. Then, beautiful, he said to his disciples, we can stop right there for point four. Just from then he said to his disciples, there's another note of compassion. This is what it says. Jesus's compassion on people is always designed to serve to awaken us to be compassionate for other people. We just saw this beautiful compassion of Jesus. And he says, "Okay, disciples, now that you've seen this compassion, what about you? Then he says to his disciples. And so you can just. It's designed here, in other words, that there should always be in your life a time where there's a then he said to fill in your name. Are you going to be compassionate? That's the point here. As you read the scriptures, as you read this right here, the Holy Spirit is coming into your heart and he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, hey, You see that compassion of Jesus right there? That's pretty amazing compassion that he has. I'm coming right now so that when you see that, it's going to awaken within you a desire to want to be compassionate just like him. I'm not showing you that just so you can say, oh, he's so compassionate. Yes. And then you'd walk away. Instead, he's saying, I'm I'm letting you see this and I'm knocking on your heart right now so that you're going to say, I'm supposed to be like that. I'm supposed to be compassionate towards people that are, point you up to 36, helpless and harassed. I'm supposed to have a deep, heartfelt desire for them to come alongside them and not say, oh, I'm sorry you're like that. But instead, input myself into their reality and feel their pain with them. This is the incarnation. And this this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put ourselves into. So the compassion of Jesus, as we look upon it, is always designed to serve to awaken our hearts to be compassionate towards others, not look back at ourselves. And then it's, he says this. I'm just going to kind of unpack 37 for a second, because 37. Um, If we read it correctly and do some real, I mean, real heart examination could be life changing for you. It could be if the Holy Spirit would come now. It could be the thing that wakes you up to mission. Look at this. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. To ignite compassion in his disciples. He wants them to look at the mission field. 
He says, look, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. My understanding of this first phrase, the harvest is plentiful, is to mean there are tons of people out there that want you to tell them about Jesus. They are the proverbial low hanging fruit on the tree. It's not like they're way up there and tough to get. He's saying the harvest is plentiful. And when the harvest is plentiful, one thing is, if the harvest is plentiful, you better go get the harvest. It's no time to mess around. It's time to go. And then he says, but the laborers are few. Despite the volumes of people that are out there waiting to be harvested, we're told in this gospel That the laborers seem to be few. There's simply not enough of them. There's three possible reasons, three ways to understand this that I see. There may be more, but I'm a simple guy. I have three. These are the three I see. Number one is that every single Christian is laboring. This is not on the screen. And what I want you to do is you hear these three. I want you to ask yourself, which one are you? You can't be all three. You have to be one, two, or three. If we're going to understand the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, there's three ways. Number one, every Christian is actually laboring to their fullest extent, but there are just simply too many people to reach that we just can't harvest them. That's one way to understand it. The second thing is that Christians are laboring, but just at a very slow pace. We're all in like, super slow-mo as we're trying to do it. And as we're trying to do it, it's just taken a long time for us to eventually talk to people about Jesus. And we just simply can't harvest fast enough. But we're all still doing it, but just slowly. Or, few Christians are actually joining the labor of winning souls, and that's why there's so many unharvested souls. It's one of the three. It can't be all three. If the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, where are you falling in that? Are you doing everything you can to get everyone? Are you just really slow? Like you meet someone and you take two years to finally share the gospel with them. If it finally presents itself at the right possible time when they maybe have a Bible on their shelf and you see it and you think, I mean, I'm just kind of over exaggerating. Or is it just that you're not doing anything? If, if the heart, I mean, The way the text seems to be written is if the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, it seems to be that it's number three. That we're just not nearly as intentional as we should be. But why? Because we're not compassionate. Point. He turns to his disciples and he's wanting them to say, see how I was just compassionate in verse 36. I'm telling you this in verse 37 because I want you to look at verse 36 and see Jesus is filled with compassion and I want you to be compassionate like me. That's why I'm telling you this in verse 37 is to you to look at me in 36 and say, if I am number three, if I am just a 
Christian laborer who's not really joining the labor of winning souls and I'm not really harvesting souls. He's warning you to look at 36 and find the compassion of Jesus and start living that out. That's the point here. Jesus's compassion on people is always designed. So as we look at this, as we look at his compassion, it's designed to infiltrate your heart. It's designed to penetrate deep down in in my heart, the hard heart, the selfish desires that I have and obliterate that and cause me to be more compassionate for people and far more intentional in laboring and harvesting. So if you're not, if you're not ever joining the harvest, it's probably because you're not compassionate. It's not because you don't have the right words. It's not because you're waiting for the right opportunity. Those things might be true. But more than likely, if you have compassion, you'll just find the words or you'll just stumble through it or you'll just you'll find it. You'll just walk out on Main Street and you'll say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Like you'll just find people. That's what happens to compassionate people. Now. We've kind of been given in verse 37, second half, the this big, huge problem. Here's the problem. There is a ton of work to do and we don't have hardly anybody. And so in America, especially the answer is therefore let's get out there and get to work. I mean, we got to go right. And Jesus says, therefore pray. I'm supposed to stop and pray. Like, aren't we supposed to get out there and start going? All right, let's, um, let's fully understand this. Jesus is saying that there's large numbers of people just standing out there and waiting to hear the gospel. There's, they're ready. And he's pressing us with an urgency to go out there and become workers. What should we do? Should we train the people? Should we fund the people? Should we plot and strategize? Should we start planning the work? No, you you should do those things. But first you should just pray. You should stop and you should pray and remember that God is sovereign and things can still happen in his timetable. And he's really pretty concerned about your heart and being aligned with him. And he wants you to pray first before you start training and funding and plotting and strategizing. Those things need to be done, but he's wanting first things to be first and your heart to be connected and maybe become compassionate in that prayer. And then go. So you should pray. So here's the fifth thing. When Jesus's compassion affects our lives, it demands a call to pray. When Jesus's compassion affects your life, and I don't know if that's the right way to spell effect. It's E or A, one of those two. Um, it's probably A. Um, it demands a call to pray. Do you pray like you should for lost souls? Do you pray At all for lost souls. Do you believe God will do anything if you pray for lost souls? I mean, we just talked about over the entire chapter nine of Jesus is trustworthy. Matthew's wanting us to see he's so trustworthy. And after that, now we're being asked to pray. Do we find ourselves trusting him to pray? Do you pray for lost souls? Are you trusting him enough? Do you believe that God will do anything if you pray? Do you believe anything will happen if you pray? If you don't, that might mean 
that might show us why you don't pray. Jesus can be trusted and we're to stop and pray. Now, here's one thing. It doesn't mean but that we should do nothing but pray. That's not what Matthew's saying here. It doesn't mean that we should do nothing but pray, but it does mean we should do nothing without praying. That's what it means. We're not just supposed to pray and pray and pray and pray and never do anything. Can't tell you about Jesus. I'm still praying. It's, that's not the idea. But it does mean that we're not supposed to do anything without praying. He doesn't say, therefore, go. He doesn't say, therefore, shoot out and start planning. He says, therefore, pray. And how should we pray? Therefore, pray earnestly. Earnestly. This is not passing prayer. God, please save them all. Everybody come to contact. Amen. Like it's it's earnestly. This is a deep, heartfelt angst that is to feel the weight for lost souls. Um, we are to have love and compassion in that Jesus felt in verse 36. That's the kind of prayer we pray. Jesus, I see this compassion you have in verse 36. As I'm praying earnestly, I want to pray for that kind of compassion in verse 36. And then we're praying that we want to see the crowds like Jesus sees the crowds. And he instructs us, if you want to do that, start praying and pray that you'll see fruit. And he says, therefore, pray earnestly that don't miss this, this noun being used right there when we're describing the harvest, the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest. We are readily, ready, readily acknowledging that if a harvest is to come, that it's the Lord who is the one who's going to give it. It's not our harvest. It's God's harvest. And so... It's the Lord of the harvest. We need to remember that it's his. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. So now we're moving into the action. Now we're moving after we prayed. We're praying that God will send people out. And if you'll just look down one verse with me in 10, look at this. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. And you can see now he's putting it into action. He's sending the 12 out. We're going to get into that next week. I'm not going to go too much into it. But he's sending them. And so as we coming to the sixth one, here's the sixth. Here's the sixth note on compassion. Our compassion for others should drive us into action. It should drive us into action. We must pray. And then when we pray, it should drive us into action. There should always be for us a time where we say, I am ready to be a worker for the gospel of Christ, start right here and send me. This is what Jesus did. He had compassion. He called the disciples to be compassionate. He told them to pray. And then after he built up within them the compassion through prayer, then he doesn't just leave them there. He sends them out on mission and tells them it's time to go. There's always to be a sending, an action point. This commissioning of Jesus comes here where he starts calling them and sending them. He's going to accomplish his mission. He's here in the text commissioning the 12 to go out and here for us in the 21st century commissioning all of us now to go out and live out this mission to call people. Now, you type A's are going to skip the prayer part. You're just going to jump to the action part. And he's saying, don't do that. You know, don't forget to pray. He's therefore pray and then you can do the other things. Don't skip that. And then he's commissioning them. 
And just as a reminder, what he's commissioning them to do, when it's time to go do action, he's saying, look at the pattern of life of which I have lived out this mission and go and do that. When you're being commissioned, you're being commissioned to go live out the mission the way Jesus lived out the mission. How do I do that? What's the pattern? Is there any kind of instructions on that? Yes. Verse 35. Go to the cities. Teach the gospel. Teach people the Bible. Proclaim to them the gospel of the kingdom. And then here, healing every disease, meet their physical needs. Find their need and meet it. There's, a, there's an obvious little pattern for us in 35. So as you're being sent out into action, that's the kind of action that you're being sent to, is to go now to the cities. And that just means where there are people. If you live in the middle of nowhere and there's no people there, then you need to move or you need to spend more time where there are people. You can't just be by yourself and, and then come and be around people like one day a week and then go back and live with no people. Like, that's not the point. The point is, wherever people are, whether it's your work or your family or your office or the streets or whatever your gifting is, <laughs> then that's where you need to be. You need to be where people are. And then you need to teach them their Bible, um, answer any questions or objections they might have about things about Jesus, tell them the gospel. It says, preach them the gospel of the kingdom, and then find if they have needs, find their needs and meet them. These are the six notes on compassion for us. So as we're going now into a time of reflection and thinking, um, what I'm wanting for all of us to do here, uh, we're going to spend a couple time, uh, a few moments here in song. Before we go into that, before we all stand and sing, I want you to really kind of take um, a good account of your own heart and ask yourself, if I were to, Really examine my heart. Think about people around me. Think about when I look at them, am I just indifferent or am I angry or am I like Christ? When I look at the crowds, I have compassion. Do an honest assessment on yourself. And ask yourself whether you have compassion like Jesus or just indifference. And pray. Pray that the Lord would give you compassion. Then he said to his disciples, not just the twelve, but to us as well. Therefore, pray earnestly. Because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. There are multitudes of people waiting to hear about Jesus. May it never be said of remedy. That we are not on mission. May it never be said that we are not the laborers. And I truly believe with all my heart, if you're going to be a laborer, you have to have compassion for people. So spend a little bit of time here praying and thinking and asking God if you have compassion. And asking God for compassion. And asking God that you would be a laborer in this harvest. However the Holy Spirit leads during this time, be obedient. Maybe you need to stay seated for the first song. But just read and pray and think and ask God for this compassion for people. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word. What a beautiful gift it is to have your word. And one of the good things and sometimes painful thing as we look at your word, as I look at your word, is I'm challenged and convicted, which is both beautiful and tough. When I look at my own heart and I see a deep self-centeredness, I don't see deep love affections for people the way that you have compassion, the way that you come alongside and feel pain with them. And I want that. And I know that if I have that, I'll see more conversions. And I want God desperately to join the harvest and be a a laborer. I want to see people meet Jesus every day in my life. And your text is telling me that if I'm not, perhaps it's because I lack compassion. And so for every person here that knows Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would... Right now, show them whether they have compassion or not and plead with them to pray for this. I pray for anyone here that does not know Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would come now and open up their eyes to the beauty of the cross, that you would give your life for them and that they can be completely forgiven for their sin and they can know Christ and know eternal life and that they would believe in him, confess their sin, Be with us now as we worship. And Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to the Spirit's leading now as we sing and as we think and as we respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.